So greetings, everyone, and welcome to another Educator Innovator Hangout on Air. Um, I'm going to be your host this time for this Hangout, and my name is Kim Jackson. I'm an Associate Professor of English at California State University, Chico. And today's conversation is going to focus on large course, and I'm happy to have Tom Fox here from the National Writing Project, because he's also going to talk about large writing program design. And two of our writing mentors, Brittany DeLacy and Jeff Bogan, are joining us. And I'm thrilled that they can offer kind of an insider's perspective on what goes on in these large writing classes in particular. So thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Special thanks to Tom and Brittany and Jeff for taking the time to be here. And if you're watching on the live Hangout, we are hoping that you'll post thoughts or ideas or questions um, on the live chat feature, which is embedded in the video player. Or you can tweet uh, questions or follow along using the hashtag uh, connected learning. So yeah, we're going to get started and have a conversation about this epic learning idea. So first, let's do um, a little bit of a round of introductions. I'm hoping um, Tom, Brittany, and Jeff, you'll give us a little bit like name, where you work, and a little bit about why um, you're a part of this conversation to today. So I think Tom, I'll have you start off, and then Brittany and Jeff could jump in. Great. Um, my name is Tom Fox, and I uh, work at the National Writing Project. I'm the director of site development. Um, and I'm also the uh, program co-director for the College Community and Career Writing Program, which is a large-scale program on teaching argument writing. Uh, one other thing, um, in my former life as professor, I taught um, I taught the Jumbo course with Kim Jackson. We co-taught one semester, and uh, she'll be talking about that, but I'll probably join in. Hi, I'm Brittany DeLacy. I'm a graduate student here at Chico State, and I have been a mentor in Kim Jackson's Jumbo for three semesters now. I love working on it, and I'm also a TA for our academic writing program here. Hi, I'm Jeff Bogan. I just finished my first year as a graduate student. I've worked in uh, two jumbo courses with Kim as a, as a writing mentor. I also worked in one with Tom. Um, I just got hired on as a teaching assistant uh, for a first year composition course at Chico State too. So, Yeah, I'm very, I'm very excited about that. So, I mean, what's great about um, Brittany and Jeff both being here is that they are, they've They've been in the jumbo with us in a variety of configurations, but they also now teach the course, the first year writing course. So they have a lot of experience with the teaching of writing that I'm excited about. Um, we thought what we'd do today is give a little bit of overview first of these kind of programs and talk about some principles and practices and then um, move through thinking, I think specifically for a while, about the role of mentoring in these spaces. So um, I think I'm gonna start us off with a little bit of background with the Jumbo first year comp class. There are some links I know at the bottom of that Educator Innovator page that would take you to some resources for the large writing class. Um, Tom and I have had, well, and Brittany and Jeff and I, we've all had many conversations about this large class. Um, we designed it um, in, in some ways, not intuitively. <laughs> we didn't do it because of budget. We designed a large class because we were interested in the affordances, what we could do actually with that many people. So intentional design, making it large. And um, 
I was really interested in how we could offer professional development for people who wanted to be future high school and college level writing teachers and how putting them in this large class together where we could think about course design and how you teach writing and how you give feedback on writing um, could happen if we were all in the space together. I had worked in the summer with educational opportunity program students where we worked with about 200 in the summer, same configuration with mentors. And we were just noticing how the energy in that room and how much they were interested in each other's work. So I thought, let's just try, try this blasphemous thing. And um, we've been teaching the large writing class since 2009. Um, our pass rate is about 98% at this point. Students who take it in the first shot pass, and not just pass, but do really well. And I think a large part of that is the mentors, so I look forward to them talking. And, and we'll talk about different reasons for design, but that's the context. A large, for me, a large first year course all freshman writers who work together with me and mentors in a large space. And sometimes I'm lucky enough to get to co-teach it with people like Tom, which is awesome. And Tom, I'm gonna have you talk a little bit about that and your program. So um, you mentioned the energy of the of the hundred, nearly hundred students in the class. And, and it's really true that there is a different level of energy in that than even a very lively class of 25. Um, and that's that I think is an affordance that's the, that's sort of the the forward movement of the class is the energy of the students as they do their work. Um, so I learned a lot from doing that, um, and I won't take responsibility for the design of the programs that um, that I'm going to talk about, but they share a similar um, epicness. <laughs> so um, I'm going to be talking about. Um, the college uh, community and career ready, I'm um, not ready, actually. College Career. <laughs> the reason I'm stumbling is we just changed the name from College Ready Writers Program to C3WP. So College Community Career Writing Program. And the reason is, is because a lot of the, lot of the people we were working with, they didn't necessarily have college as their goal. And I hate the idea of getting ready to do something else later in education. It's just a bad idea. So we got rid of the ready and we got rid of the college only um, goal of the program. So that's why. So I'll be mentioning C3WP, but if listeners have heard of the College Ready Writers Program, that's, I'm talking about the same thing. So we have had like um, supported this program through four different large grant programs. Um, and um, you know, if I started to total out the number of students we have reached, and this is a pretty rough estimate, but it's it's like 175,000 students. And it's um, secondary, um, uh, mostly 7th through 10th. Uh, we have, and there's going to be more because we have another grant um, that we're just beginning uh, this this next year. So um, the, the program is big, and the, the sort of the constant thinking um, that I do with my colleagues is like, so what is the advantage of something so big? And how, you know, how can we like draw upon the energy of these fabulous National Writing Project teacher leaders who are leading this program? How can we learn from that? How can we uh, make communication channels to share our expertise and our experiences? Um, and none of it is uh, very simple or very easy, but all of it is very, very exciting. And I believe um, in the first iteration, we had a very high profile 
um, rigorous study done, and the students, uh, the student outcomes were were um, were very successful. So, uh, and we've just been featured in um, in a um, in a report by the Learning Policy Institute, which is Linda Darling Hammond's group. And um, really, as the as the organization that puts it all together in professional development, so it's 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 pretty exciting. Yeah, that's great. Um, and you know, we put the link to um, the site uh, on yes. that main page too, so people because I know you've also started to curate tons of resources there. Tons, tons that, of resources. Yeah, that people can access. You know, something that you said, and if we're going to spend a few minutes talking about kind of some of the principles or practices that drive this work. Um, I think what you and I both keep in mind is that what you said was what is what's what's the affordance of the large size like what does it allow yeah. so often in education we're so terrified of anything rightly so right terrified of anything large I, I certainly wouldn't want a hundred kindergartners right, right? like I'm not, <laughs> not arguing that everything should be bigger or whatever but if you do have these large designs or large spaces, you know, what do they allow you to do that smaller classes don't? And they, and they do allow something different that smaller classes don't. So, um, you know, if I think about some of the principles that drove or things that I think about all the time when I'm designing any classroom, large or small, like a really basic thing, like people need to feel like they're seen and heard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, borrowing from Jay McGonigal, people need to feel like they're a valued member of that community and that they have a role to play in it and that they're needed. They're needed to do the thing. So in her case, gaming, you know, you need everybody to solve this quest. But in a classroom, you, a student or any of us need to feel like, well, they need me there. They need me there to do this thing. And so if you design kind of for that in mind, like how are we making sure that everyone feels seen and heard and valued? large or small, there are some things in a large group that you can, um, being heard in a large group feels significant. Right. When you're, right, when you're recognized by 90 people and not 20, it's, it feels like important. It feels <laughs> like, <laughs> all these exactly. people liked my work, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, those kinds of things, I, I think there's lots of things we could talk about and I would want um, Brittany and Jeff to chime in at, in, in terms of the different, um, a variety of things we think about, like the space, and I mean even the, you know, whether it's a digital space or a classroom space, how does that frame what you can design? Um, I think we think carefully about peer-to-peer -peer learning and, and mentoring mm -hmm. and opportunities to mentor and be mentored, and I mean the instructor too, because students and mentors certainly mentor me around all kinds of things. Um, and then, I mean, I think, I think about organizing workflow in large groups, um, and a big part of what we do is that we're doing the work together and that we're not off alone figuring something out that we do it's not a lecture we're doing writing and doing thinking all the time so tom what do you think are some so, of the, uh, yeah so you said something that um sort of triggered something for me you said that being recognized by 100 people is like different than being recognized by 20. so so one of the things about um these programs is they're really high profile national programs like they're they're a big deal. Uh, this last round, we were one of two in the country that got these grants, and everybody else didn't get them, <laughs> and a whole bunch of people weren't even eligible for them. So they're they're a big deal. So when um, when teacher leaders learning to teach argument writing in this sophisticated way, um, 
know that they're part of a big deal, it actually uh, increases participation, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. eagerness to say something and to post something and to talk about something and to do the best work they can possibly do because it, 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 it has an intensity that, that matters. Like, this is important. I got to do this. So that, that's one thing. Um, Joe McDonald, Richard Sterling, and Judy Buchanan wrote an article a fairly long time ago called um, Expanding Our Reach, Scaling the National Writing Project, Scaling Up and Scaling Down. I didn't get all of the title exactly right. The scaling up and scaling down. So scaling up is like getting big, right? That is the, that is the epic part. But, you know, simultaneously there's a scaling down. So, and what they're talking about is like, so there's this big program, but there's people in it that, that are creating important relationships with each other. And, and so it's not all the, like, like you said, the person at the top learns. It's not all like the person at the top knows everything and it filters down in some really pleasant way. Um, it actually is more the other way where there's these relationships at the bottom talking to each other, working at it, you know, trying to engage with the idea and the principles of the, of the project or program or class. And that's actually where all of the action is. So that's why the mentors are so important. And for us, that's why our local site teacher leaders are so important because they really carried out the work of this program. They did the labor, they did the hours. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we all did, but they're the ones that were down there like really making things work. Yeah, and so you know what, this is a good time to bring in Brittany and Jeff it because um, like you said, and there's a way in which uh, one of the ways that the bigger works, um, and we know this from the jumbo, is because of the ways that it's also broken down into these smaller teams that do really interesting work together and kind of bond. And, and I'm thinking maybe, Brittany, you could start us off, and Jeff, I'm hoping you'll chime in after Brittany, just kind of describing, I get a lot of questions about the work that the mentors do. And in fact, a lot of like, well, I don't have mentors, <laughs> so how am I gonna do this? I'm like, well, you can't. <laughs> you need these good mentors. So I thought, thought maybe you could describe a little bit from the ground what it looks like to, um, like how would you describe your work in the large class and, and what do you do to support students? Okay, so I'll start off. Um, I attend both the large lectures and then I get to meet with my group individually once a week as well. I give feedback on their writing. I encourage participation. I encourage them to talk amongst themselves. I encourage them to encourage each other as well. I try to model the type of feedback I want them to give. I'm very positive-minded when it comes to feedback. I try to avoid negative criticism and focus it on, okay, what are you doing well? What can be improved? And then the students kind of start to pick up on that as well. I also feel that in the large group, when someone says something and I encourage them to share it with the large group, that opens up the door for the rest of my group to be like, okay, I want to share something too. I want everyone to hear my voice. And it kind of goes on from there. And before Kim and Tom both mentioned the energy of the large group, but there's also a very different energy within the small group. We get the experience to have both the large group and be mentors for the small group. And the large group does have this really high energy, but the small group does too, especially when you're meeting individually, getting to know people, it becomes this space that's similar to the closest thing to a family that you could have in an educational space. 
So Jeff, if you'd like to keep going with that. Yeah, so similar to Brittany, I um, attended two lectures during the week and then had my two hour workshop. Um, and as a mentor, we're in a really, or as mentors, we're in really interesting positions where students uh, more so look to us for the day-to-day -day kind of um, guidance with the course because we interact with them on, on a more intimate level than the professor does. Um, but at the same time, we have a far more informal role than that, um, than, you know, the professor of the course. So we, it allows us to, to just interact with them in an entirely different way um, to where they're not super worried that uh, as to how we're going to evaluate them um, as to like, you know, essentially we're just not the ones that are evaluating them or assigning an attendance policy or anything like that. Um, and so that enables us to get a little closer to like their experience with the day-to-day -day work. Um, and I think that like as a writing mentor, um, I try to utilize like the affordances of that, that um, just, you know, interacting with students in ways that, that professors can and making it a less formal space um, and just more so being a, a more qualified peer than, than the people that I'm um, trying to trying to help out uh, because it's ultimately uh, we're not the instructor. We're not, we're not, um, you know, grading them. We're not, um, yeah, we're not grading them. And so we, we have a lot of, I don't know, we have a little, uh, some liberties that the, that professors um, can't necessarily take as, as writing mentors who, you know, in some cases are only a few years older than the students that we're working with. That's right. Actually, I, I'd like to stay on that a little bit too, Jeff and Brittany and, and Tom, you could chime in too. I think um, where the mentors in our spaces do function a little differently is that you're not like, I think people sometimes think of writing mentors in a class setting, not necessarily in a writing center, which has some beautiful research about, you know, if you think about Marilyn Cooper thinking about the importance of why the mentor works better than the instructor with students. But in this case, usually what happens is that a mentor is grading, right? They're, or they're checking off, they're, um, you know, they're the ones who are, who are hired to give grades on writing. And I think it's a big part of the relationship that you all form with the students that they trust your feedback. They know you're close enough to the instructor who's going to grade that you're probably going to give them feedback that's useful for the grade. But they can also say to you, I'm totally confused. Like, what the heck is this? What is Jackson talking about? This is crazy. I can't make sense of this assignment. And and I think you all do a really good job of both commiserating with them in those moments of like, I know. <laughs> but let's try to figure it out together, <laughs> you know? So it would be interesting to think about how do you think that works for you in the small groups? Like when you're working just, you know, you're 10 students and you, and you've got two hours together, what do those conversations look like? Do they look like what I just described or, or something else? Like how I, do you make sure they know? I want to chime in Yeah. again, because you know, you're, I'm, I'm seeing it also from like the, the professor's point of view, who's, managing this monster um, that um, I, I cannot overestimate the work that mentors do in the way you were talking about like helping students um, understand that it might be the culture of the classroom the culture of the course the um, idea of academic inquiry that is filtered through all, everything we do in that course uh, that is generally unfamiliar to students to have that free kind of inquiry. Um, and it's confusing and it's, and I think the mentors, like even, even like five minutes before class starts, 
huddling around and saying, here's what's going to happen today. Um, I think that's astonishingly helpful and for the students and also for instruction. So if you want to comment on that, if that helped. I think there is a part where we do get to go in and help them break down the assignments and they are more comfortable asking us certain questions, but I also think it allows them to take a lot of ownership in ways that they wouldn't otherwise take ownership with in terms of they can come in and ask, I don't necessarily see the assignment the way Kim's describing it, can I do it like this? And they're a lot more comfortable going to their mentor in a space with these 10 students than raising their hand in front of 90 people and asking, can I do this different thing? So I think it allows them to develop the sense of ownership over their work, over what they want to do, over the kind of direction they want to go in, especially with a project such as an inquiry project or a space that allows inquiry into different things. And it's definitely a really interesting environment when you do have that. And it's really different. It's a really different space than having 30 students for sure. Yeah, especially since you obviously have done both too. I think there is a little bit, Brittany, too, of just like you've got their back. You know, like they can test out something with you and and you've got their back that that yes, I'm gonna support you. And yeah, it's I'm it's totally appropriate for you to ask for this other way to do this. Or I think that's a great idea. Or I've seen you all lean over and say, you should say that. Like you should say that out loud in class. Um, just kind of like and then, of course, over time, you don't have to do that as much anymore. But in those first three weeks, I think that's really crucial. Jeff, you want to weigh in a little bit, like, I've seen you do the thing that Tom's describing at the beginning of the large class, where you're kind of checking in with them. Like, do you have the reading? <laughs> you know, do you have your thing up? Like, what, how do you see those first few minutes of class functioning for you as a way to kind of introduce them to the culture of what's the work? Well, so I just, you know, there's things that I do as a, as a student um, to try to be prepared. And so I just try to have students not necessarily mirror that, but just um, use that as like guiding points um, to, to help students to just sh like as a more qualified peer to show them things that I've done in the past that have helped me. Um, and I try to make it really clear that like, like saying things like, hey, like, um, you know, like certain things that I do um, aren't necessarily universal and they're not ways that they could all go about them, but they're just like an example to maybe move forward with um, for how they might want to approach something. Uh, the little like five minute conversations before the class though, they're, they're just, I thought that they were really helpful more so to just get students um, thinking about like, okay, how am I going to approach this class rather than walking into a lecture hall of a of hundred people. Um, not participating once the entire time and just kind of walking out absent-minded uh like rather we we could just have a, a small conversation as a group and everyone could just kind of say out loud their things that they were concerned about things that they didn't understand um and it was just a lot easier to i think on you guys as the head professors to not have to you know go around and, and micromanage all that um to have mentors do it and then report out um as mentors with our to report on our groups as mentors to you guys later um yeah, I think you're right. And you know, um, so Keaton Kirk Kirkpatrick, um, one of our other mentors, wrote a blog, the main part of the blog um, yesterday that came out that I'll post a link to at some point. And I love this kind of um, analogy he made. He said that if the class was like some book chapter or an article, that what the mentors are doing for the faculty are annotating and highlighting and kind of summarizing the important parts uh, of the class. Because there's, it is hard to manage, you know, 100 or 90 people and, and really be able to, to know them. 
I think Tom and I work really hard at knowing those students and knowing all their names and know and certainly reading through all the work and knowing the work that's going on. But there's nothing like the role you all play for us where um, you kind of highlight like, hey, did you see this really smart thing that, you know, that Karen did on her blog? Or, you know, I think you should watch for this because there's some mumblings about a little bit of confusion over this part of the assignment. So it does feel like you all just do a ton of, of that, of annotating um, and highlighting the course for us. And I think what's interesting from the perspective of the students then is I think <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. I don't mean to sound as bad as it does. Tom can chime in here too. I think you make us look like we even know it better than we do. Like I work really hard to know everything they're working on, but they think I know everything for sure that they're working on because you've told me, right? Like you've pointed it out. Um, and we should talk a little bit, you know, we do have these two hour mentor meetings every week where we do some of this debrief work and highlight students and, you know, both honor work that's lovely and also, you know, head off anything that we're, that we're worried about. Tom, do you want to say anything about that? Uh, I was struck by something, um, something, something that Brittany said about um, negotiating the assignment, and and it oddly enough made me think of the C3WP program and the role that teacher leaders play in determining what's an acceptable adaptation and what veers from the principles or you know main points of the practice. And it's the same thing. It's actually the same thing. So one of the you know there is a goal. There's a clear goal set by the course. You know, you you will experience you know uh, you know one experience of academic inquiry, and and that's that's what this class is about. And you'll learn to write about it and all that kind of stuff. So with the C three WP program, there is also a set of principles that are about how how young people learn to write arguments, and um, if you don't do if you veer from the principles, then you're not doing the program. But the program isn't like a curriculum where you have to be, it's not a, it's not a scripted thing that you have to do lockstep. So when a student says to Brittany, what if I do this or not? Brittany's judgment is, well, does that fit within the goals of the class or not, right? And so it's the same thing. I mean, it's the same thing all over the country where these uh, teacher leaders are listening to teachers in the classroom saying, well, this, you know, this set of reading isn't as, you know, very relevant for my students. Can I switch it out? And they say, of course, please do, <laughs> you know, something like that. So I, I was thinking how interesting the role of the the mentors or the teacher leaders. Now, in, in the case of the um, C3WP, uh, the teachers, it's, re it's really interesting the the exchange of expertise. So they are like really expert teachers of writing. They know and have learned um, and really built capacity in being able to talk about the teaching of argument writing. But they they aren't from the school they're work they're working in. Um, they may be from that area, but they're not from that. So so they have a goal of forging the kind of relationships you guys do with your students with teachers at a school with whom they're unfamiliar. Um, and, and so there has to be an ex equal ex 
changing practice is hard. It's risky, it's scary. You give up something you know how to do for something you don't know how to do. So there has to be sort of this level of trust and, and the ability to challenge somebody as well. Um, so there has to be an exchange of expertise. Uh, so uh, they, they play the role of more capable peer in terms of knowing about teaching argument, but they have to always defer to the expertise of the teacher about what their students are like, who their students are, what their students care about, what the community is like, who their parents are. There's a whole range of expertise that those teachers have that actually have to play into the success of a change of practice. So I think that is a really interesting um, similarity with a little twist of difference uh, at the same time. Yeah, that's actually, that's really interesting. It makes me wonder, um, Brittany and Jeff, what you think about in terms of, I think one of the things that is a little bit invisible to when Tom and I are teaching the jumbo is that shared expertise even among the mentors. I mean, what Tom's describing is how much um, a collegial exchange happens, right, between the teachers in your program. And I wonder, I mean, it, maybe the answer is no, but I wonder if that happens among the mentors. You know, is there is there a checking in with each other? Or, oh, you should try this, or I had this problem, this might work for you um, among yourselves. I think anything like that that happens, happens during the mentor meetings for sure. I don't think it happens outside of it necessarily. And I think it's all of us bringing ideas to the table at once. I don't think it's individual conversations going on. Yeah, I would agree. It was, it was all in the mentor meetings and those were, those were super beneficial. It just uh, allowed, you know, I think there was nine of us this last semester. Um, so it just allowed, you know, nine different perspectives of, of mentors all in a really similar position, um, you know, either at the end of their undergraduate education or the, you know, be, you know, beginning to midpoint in their graduate education. Um, just, you know, everyone having nine students and approaching it slightly differently um, and talking about it was, was really helpful to me. Um, those meetings actually probably were, I, I would say, the most beneficial to me as a mentor and things that I learned moving forward, um, especially the earlier days, listening to some of the older mentors that had a little more experience than I had had. Yeah, I, I just realized I didn't unmute. Um, yeah, I think uh, one of the things that's really hard when we're first teaching is just imagining the possibilities of what could happen and what to do about it. And I think you're right that um, tiered kind of varying degrees of, of newcomer and a little bit more old timer is really valuable because you do hear people explain ways that they've approached and then you have new people who have really sometimes very innovative ways because they don't they aren't stuck in some way of doing this classroom space so i think both in those meetings is incredibly helpful i'd like us i want to circle back at some point around to the kinds of um to this the kinds of um support Brittany and jeff felt like is valuable if someone were to design a mentor program for um Mentors, I want to come back to that at some point, but I think it would also be useful for us to have a little bit of a conversation about other parts of the design. So, and I'm going to have Tom kick us off just in terms of um, what's interesting about your program is it is, it's talk about huge, it is huge scale. And so there's certainly something about space and platforms and workflow. And I, you know, I thought maybe we should have a little bit of conversation about the considerations that we have for designing large programs or classes. 
So actually, what um, what Jeff was just saying is pretty relevant to I think um, part of the design of the National Writing Project and of this program. And um, Jeff was talking about varying levels of expertise, and um, in the Writing Project, uh, we talk about teacher leaders, um, and and that's that's our thing is we build teacher leaders. So um, a lot of things like rang bells when you were talking, um, the tapping of someone's expertise and having them share it with the group. Uh, Brittany, when you, when you talked about that. Um, so one of the things that um, we've used is a G plus community. So um, at one point, I think we had 800, <laughs> 800 people in the G plus community which is way too many and we tried to have tabs and actually what happened was a lot of the local sites built their own g plus communities and then only occasionally like threw something in the large one but that's that's again it's like the mentor groups and the big the big thing like and they or i would hear something and i would do just what i said you ought to share that with the big g, g plus community that's really good so that same sort of thing, it's, it's very, very similar, um, happened in, with the National Writing Project. And we had sort of tiers of, um, of leadership. Um, you know, there were um, the senior staff members like me, there were four of us sort of, and there are still four or five of us, uh, working in, and helping with the design of the program. There's a really wonderful, group of super teacher leaders who are a leadership team um, and they are like the very experienced mentors and they they've had experience doing all of the things that we're doing they help create some of the materials they listen carefully with all of the local writing project sites who carry out the work and then at each local writing project site, there was a facilitator. There was somebody who actually went out and did the work. They went to the they went to the school. They sat there. They got to know people. They ate at the cafeteria. They understood the teachers' situations. All of that kind of thing. So those tiers were um, were built their own sort of separate interlocking communities. And Tom, can I ask, were those, did those emerge from the work or, or was there a combination of um, we need these kinds of things to do the work or had you borrowed some of the things from the larger network that you knew already worked in those? Yeah. They were designed. They didn't emerge. They were designed and they were borrowed and, um, you know, embroidered um, from the larger network and, and made a little bit different. We have done large programs before, so this wasn't the first round. Um, but but, but we had a combination of um, online communities, uh, online events, even, you know, like this one, we had a bunch, we would have one a month, actually. Um, we had reading groups where people, um, we'd ask questions and people would respond in uh, Google Docs collaboratively and respond to each other. Uh, and then we also got, um, since this was a large grant, we had enough money to have face-to-face -face meetings. And we brought district personnel and writing project personnel together in these giant ballrooms at hotels. And um, 
It was pretty exciting just to see the development of those relationships. And we did that twice a year, which is kind of a lot, actually. That's, that's a lot for, you know, this many people. So I think the, 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 the building of the community happened in all of those ways. Um, and with, you know, monthly check-ins and, you know, all of the kinds of community. You, put, you sort of use every, when you have a group that you use everything at your disposal because some of it works for some people better than, like there were some people I'm sure that never participated in the G plus community. You know, yeah, but they would, I, they would do one of these other forums. Right, actually I think that's uh, something that we keep in mind a lot in that Jumbo course too, is that student participation uh, in that space that shouldn't be one size fits all. Like they should have multiple ways to participate. And so if we're thinking about designing a large class, then we're thinking about all the different ways a student can find a way into that course. And some of them will be really good at blogging and some of them will be great note takers and some of them will tweet out our ideas on Twitter and some of them will talk more in class. Um, some of them will participate more in their small group and give phenomenal feedback. And really, I think what the mentors and, and all of us are looking for is just, are they finding some way in? But I don't right. expect that they're going to get checked off on like, in your case, it'd be like, and they did the G plus and they did this meeting and yeah, they, yeah. and there's no way they can do all the things, nor would I care that they do. Nor, nor could we possibly have the personnel to keep track of that. But, um, right, right. <laughs> we want to. Yeah. I want to add one more thing that I, I would be. That's a little bit of a challenge, I think, to the jumbo. Um, so I can't remember if it was Jeff or Brittany mentioned the value of the non-evaluative stand and how important that was for creating these relationships. So we also, like, teachers get evaluated way too much, you know. So, like, any we, di we didn't want that. But we also want to know how we're doing. Like, so how's it going? And so we, I mean, and we wanted to know, like, how are the students doing is actually what we wanted to know. Like, are they writing these arguments that, are they good? And so we actually created this little electronic, it's kind of a, kind of a little bit better than a checklist, um, but that very focuses on like, how well are they using sources in their arguments? And it's really easy to do. And it has a little box at the end that's the most valuable thing is like, so what is the student's next steps for learning? So. This tool like could have been really bad for people. People could have felt judged by it. They could have felt like my students aren't as good as so-and-so's students. It, it spits out little bar graphs and stuff like that. Um, and it, but in the hands of these really talented people, it turned into just like this tool of interest. So like, oh my gosh, you know, they're, they're starting to write, you know, really interesting commentary on their sources. I haven't seen that before, you know, something like that. And That's you can cool. see it over the course of the year. It was this quick little formative assessment tool that the teachers end up really loving. And that it actually was a key to getting, getting at some of the goals of the program because yeah. it, it had like, well, here I am now. I mean, I love when I want to talk about student formative assessment, when I want to respond to student, I want to say, first of all, what are they doing? What do they know how to do? That's just like the most important thing is to say, what do they know how to do? But then I also want to say, what are they on the verge of learning or what are they about to do? That, and that's where you teach. So that's what this tool was able to do for everybody. But everybody did it. That's the thing. 
like everybody did it at the same time. Like we had it once early in the year, you know, and once at the minute, and it all went into, so we could see how the program was doing, but they could also could see like, oh, here's, here's um, our writing project group. They're doing this and wow, they have really changed in the last three times. And it was kind of um, motivating. Yeah. Because it was a different evidence of, like when you're a teacher looking at your student writing over and over, there's there's times where it never seems that good. <laughs> you go, are they really making progress? Am I really a good teacher? Oh, I'm a terrible teacher. You know, that kind of stuff happens every time I teach. Yeah. Um, but this was like sort of some pretty concrete stuff that showed progress. It's kind of interesting. And it also had to do with creating this community because even though everybody wasn't writing the same thing, the goals of the program were embedded in this um, in this tool and they could see how well they were, or how far along they were, not really how well they were doing, but how far along they were in the progress. Yeah, that's really cool. I can, I can totally imagine um, doing something similar, right? Where, I mean, I think the mentors and I do it informally in our meetings, kind of a check-in, but a it's way a of, yeah, yeah, even the way of asking students, you know, too, which I think sometimes we do in the jumbo, how's it going? And I think the mentors right. kind of have a pulse on that. Um, the, go ahead. The thing about this is it's, it's really about their writing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not yeah. how the structure of the course are working for them, but are they actually showing growth in their writing? They're in yeah. their writing. No, that's and, and they can do it themselves. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So um, I don't want to also, I would like to talk a little bit about, um, because we get a lot of questions about, I was fortunate when I decided to design a jumbo, I inherited a program that you and Judith Rodby had already worked on for 20 something years at that point that had a course, English 431, Theories and Practices of Tutoring Writing, that went with it, um, that every writing mentor takes um, and does well and gets a chance to internship. So I had, I had built, I had inherited some structures that were already in place that made the mentoring and the jumbo more possible. So I get a lot of questions across, from people across the country about, you know, how do you get started with a mentor program? And I actually want Brittany and Jeff to chime in first, um, just in terms of what do you think it is about your training that, like, if you were, to, if someone was gonna, and they will, when someone bugs you on the street and is like, so I'm trying to design a mentor program, what would be the parts? What's resonated with you? What would you keep, you know, in terms of internships or readings or working together or what would you do? I definitely think the internship was a very helpful aspect. I got to go twice a week and observe someone leading a similar space to being in the jumbo and see how they were working with the students, seeing how they were giving feedback and then going to the 431 class that Kim was talking about, talking through that feedback with other people who wanted to be mentors, meeting with other people who had been mentors and just kind of being mentored by mentors in a sense as well. I think that was a really helpful thing for me. Yeah, when I um when I interned, I thought what was most helpful, similar to Brittany, was just reporting back with the uh, with the whole four thirty one class and um and you know talking about our different experiences in the um in in our individual sections. One thing I thought that would have been really beneficial is if we all followed a collective syllabus. Uh, what made it a little difficult was at times uh, we were working in different sections that uh, weren't following the same 
the same uh, syllabus as others. And so we conversations would get a little sidetracked while like some courses were really like really focused on inquiry and um, others weren't as focused and had themes that they were more um, more driven by. And so that made conversations um, a little harder to like really get into the, the specific types of things that we we could all be doing um, at that point in the semester as mentors. Uh, but other than that, yeah, the, the conversations were super, super helpful. Um, I wrote something else down here really quickly. Uh, yeah, I mean, mostly I just think, uh, you know, having conversations on, on how to how to interact with, with freshman students too, um, and just how to like get, like facilitate conversations and, and start them because oftentimes with these courses, people walk in or students walk in pretty intimidated because they're not, they're not much, it, it's a general ed course. So a lot of them don't consider themselves as people who read or write. Um, and so just getting used to how to interact with, with people who aren't English majors um, when, when, you know, when talking about English. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think you all do a lot of modeling of how to talk about text about you know how to have conversation close reading kind of conversations around text i also um sometimes want to caution people i think the other typical thing that people do when they're looking to put um you know older students you know in their classes is they pick the student who got an a in their class you know, they, and I understand the impulse, like they pick someone who did really well in physics 101, so now I'm going to have them be a mentor in this class with me. Um, and while you all are phenomenal students, and I've, I've lucked out, I actually think there's something to be said for having writing mentors who struggle with writing, or that understand writing is a struggle. Like, I, I'm actually not interested in having people in there who have this kind of like, I got this and let me show you how I got it. I'd rather have someone who's like, yeah, writing is really hard, and here's some ways I've approached it. So I caution people to like, don't just pick like the best student in your class. Like, because sometimes they don't have ways to articulate or empathize with the struggle of, a, of another kind of student. I've, I've always been really grateful that I was a terrible student. <laughs> Especially in high school, I didn't really get it. I really get it. In the first two years of college, I was pretty bad too. So, and you know, I, it, it gives me empathy for, I mean, I was very skeptical, like prove it, prove this was going to be worth it to me. I'm paying, I'm, you know, I work at the mill. Yeah, right. Pay, I'm paying my money. Right. And uh, I wasn't, you know, that, that great. So do you think that um, mentoring program could work without 431? Do you think that Tom, like without the course, what, what would it look like without the course? Well, there would have to be an equivalent opportunity. I, th I think that a lot of universities have internship programs, you know, like they have a course called an internship. And if that could be um, a part of it could be um, shifted to, to work in some kind of way. I don't yeah, know, I haven't, I haven't yeah. created it in my, I mean, that's a stumbling block for people I know, is like if they don't have the course and they can't put the course in a tight curriculum and they have to get votes from their faculty who don't understand what writing instruction is and, right. you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's always a hard thing to get a new course in, so like, there would be ways. If, there, if what Brittany and Jeff, what you both just said was that the internship was a big valuable component of that and that all, in some ways, what the course did was just gave you a time and space to talk through the internship, it's just making me think people could do it by, you know, kind of what Tom's alluding to. Like you could just have people intern in these spaces 
in independent studies or in some more structure or whatever and have a time, you know, a time to meet. That's. I also think that, um, although I really think it's valuable to have um, undergraduates as mentors, um, many uh, programs have um, pedagogy practicums mm -hmm. in their graduate programs. And it, w it would be totally possible to make that, the mentor meeting actually I thought was a graduate course. Like that's how I, that's how I actually addressed it is this is a graduate course in the practice of teaching writing and i think uh i always felt like they were learning lots lots and lots of things that would help them be a really good teacher in the classroom um as opposed to you know just creating a syllabus it was yeah. the, the practice point so i think that it i just think you would have to shift the emphasis and the experience of existing programs or courses to produce you know, mentor. Yeah, and actually value the mentors as uh, people who are colleagues and co-teaching and all those kinds of things, right? It's can't it can't be totally a hierarchy. Like you can't see the mentors as your, you know, flunkies who check off your grading for you or something. And you know, we don't think about it like that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about digital um, platforms because Tom already alluded to the fact that they have a G plus community that they do things like this, like online webinars, and certainly um, we'd be lying if we didn't if we said that that jumbo doesn't have a huge, rely a lot on digital platforms as a way for people to be seen and heard. What was that like from a mentor perspective, like coming into it? You know, we had them all on their own WordPress blogs, sometimes we were on Twitter, sometimes we are doing other things. Did you feel like you needed to know how to do those things, or was it totally fine to learn those as you went? And maybe Jeff, you could kind of kick us off. Yeah, so I actually um, wasn't super aware on how to do a lot of the things that we were uh, going into the course on how to do a lot of the things that we were asking students to do. Um, a lot of the students also weren't aware, but that actually was pretty beneficial because I, I could learn it alongside with them and just show them how to um, like navigate certain certain problems just by Googling certain things or just, you know, how to, how to use the internet to, to figure out how to do things, essentially. Um, and that actually, yeah, that was... I thought that worked almost better, the fact that I didn't know how to do certain things coming in and could just demonstrate, like, this is how easy this is to just um, to do that. And so just by trying to stay, like, a step ahead of, um, of the students, that, that, that became really, really, really attainable. Um, I was also really shocked about uh, or by the amount of participation that everyone would do on the, on the WordPress blogs. Like, within the first few weeks, students were having conversations that would go down, you know, like, six or seven comments that I... Uh, just didn't really expect that to happen at all, and it just seems like that's only going to progress as you know as we as we move forward with time and and social media becomes more of, you know even more of a thing, um, and just you know interacting through through online platforms like that becomes more more prevalent. I love WordPress and I love everything about WordPress. So working with WordPress with students is great. I don't tell them that I know a lot, but I do tell them I really like this platform because a lot of times the first few weeks of class, they get really, really frustrated. And if they see someone having a positive experience with it, they're going to try to imitate that positive experience and try to create it for themselves. And what I get are a lot of students who do these beautiful things, who can teach me things about WordPress because they've gone out, played around with it on their own, 
And sometimes I might not have backgrounds that I like, but the students love them and it's Crayar and I get these really interesting spaces that show off their personalities. Yeah, I agree. I like that they have their own space that they blog on and we can that under those resources links. Um, so Tom's site is there with a bunch of resources and then the jumbo link is there. So you can find a lot of resources, including links to all the students blogs. So we're going to um, start. To, go ahead, Tom. I could see you. There's one, one more thing because this has yeah. to do with, this has to do with Epic. Okay. So we tried an experiment and it was only partially successful, um, but the idea is still good and we're going to, we're going to do it again and we're going to get it right. So a lesson study. So let's say, uh, you know, 400 teachers <laughs> across the country want to help their students uh, write better commentary on their source material. And so there's, we have some instructional resources on it. And what if they all try those at the same time and post their progress and post their struggles and post their successes and post some student writing? So we did that and we didn't get 800 teachers. In fact, we didn't even get 100 teachers. We got like 20 teachers at the high point. But it was really cool and a really interesting idea, you know, that somebody from Arkansas and somebody from California and somebody from Illinois and somebody from South Carolina were all sort of doing the same thing at about the same time and sharing what their experience was. I just think that's a cool sort of epic idea. And an advantage, you know, an advantage of the epicness of of, yeah. of the program. Yeah, for sure. Like I try let's all try this together and in, and the, the more numbers you have, the more you learn. You know, that's that's huge. Um, so we are going to start to run out of time here. Any last thoughts that you want to make sure that, um, you know, considerations for people designing large spaces? I will just say you do have to actually design. You can't just take what you do in a small thing and, and make it bigger. You actually do have to totally rethink it. That's what I was going to say. And the, the thing about the the National Writing Project is we've never believed in franchising to ex to to expand to take one thing and just duplicate it in every different place. That isn't that isn't doable, and that isn't what we do, and that doesn't. I don't believe that works. So instead, there's adaptive scaling, or um, you know, these sort of things that I'm talking about, where um, relationships are built on the ground. So I think that's true with with every attempt to get bigger is that it isn't it isn't a multiplication table or a franchise yeah yeah it's, um yeah right it's not a fran it's not a it's not mcdonald's bless their hearts <laughs> so Brittany and jeff anything you'll take into your own i know Brittany, you already do some and jeff's about to go into his first year comp anything in a sentence or two that you like stuff that will be included in when you teach smaller courses? I've stolen a lot of the assignments and a lot of the readings. My students do WordPress blogs of their own. I've taken a lot of the readings having to do with being a freshman or about just freshman composition in general into my classroom and digital culture into my classroom. And that's kind of what I've stolen from it. That's awesome. 
Yeah, kind of same with me. Um, one of the things that I, I'm really trying to stress in my course next year is, is the blogging. I really liked that we had this online space that kind of created an, an, an outside, a community outside of the classroom um, that just was completely student run, that they commented on it how they wanted to. They, you know, they personalized their profiles and I really had nothing to do with it other than that. I would, I would read them and um, sometimes, you know, like help, you know, help explain prompts or something like that. Uh, but that's something I really want to make sure my students go on to do is just I, I like the idea of having the, the more formal classroom space than the outside of the classroom online on space that people can interact on. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, something you all could consider and, I, and I've been trying to play with is the other way that you can kind of go epic is, you know, there are first year composition courses all over the country, <laughs> you know, thousands and thousands of them. And. There's no reason why, Jeff, your students can't blog with Brittany's students, you know, and, and be readers for each other. Or we can't tap in to a colleague who's at, you know, CSU Monterey Bay, like George Station or somebody, and say, hey, do you want your students to blog with our students? So I think there's ways we can also think about scale in terms of inviting new kinds of readers to our spaces. Um, and and I maybe even local high school students. Yeah, and, and that's a great college, idea, right? You know, yeah. yeah, and middle schoolers, I, I like that idea. So I want to thank you all so much again for taking the time to, because I know you had to make carve out time to be on this chat today and thank anybody for all the people for watching or watching later. Um, if you'd like to keep up to date on some future opportunities, you can, there's a monthly newsletter that I follow from um, Educator Innovator, which is at educatorinnovator.org and you'll get their newsletter telling you about upcoming webinars. Um, and I follow them on Twitter, and that's at innovates underscore ed. And we, you get all, all the info from the cool kids by doing that. So, yeah, thank you again, everyone, and we'll see you all on the Twitter chat. Nice to see you, uh, Brittany and Jeff, and thanks, Kim. Thank you. Thanks, all. <laughs>